Video Game The Movie The Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Video Game The Movie The Podcast. My name is Mackenzie Eastrom. My name is Nathan Eastrom. And my name is Lexi Conwell. Today... For your spooky Halloween special, we just have the next movie in the chronological line because it's all <laughs> fucking horror movies right now. We have entered the period of video game movies where it's all zombies all the time. Today we are talking about Resident Evil 2 Apocalypse. From the leading name in biotechnology, comes Regenerate. The breakthrough from the Umbrella Corporation. My name is Alice. I work for the Umbrella Corporation. There was an accident, and everybody died. The trouble was, they didn't stay dead. In the pursuit of human perfection, accidents will happen. There's been an incident. How bad is it? We're reopening the hive. I want to know what went on down there. Sir, there's something in here. Infection is spreading faster than anyone could have anticipated. Seal the gates. Our men are still out there. Just do it. We're expendable assets. And we've just been expended. Now, those left behind... We're gonna take you home. ...must battle an enemy that will not die. What was that? We're gonna need more ammo. Move! I'm good. But I'm not that good. They did something to me. They changed me. And one corporation... The nemesis is now fully activated. ...will do everything to bury its dark secret. You know exactly how far Umbrella will go. I used to work for them. I learned the error of my ways. Initiate launch proceedings. which is a weird title for a sequel, but actually kind of follows with the rest of the sequel names, even though they're all kind of stupid. Yeah, they're they're all a little bit weird. Retribution, and uh, what's what's another one? Revengeance. Is uh, that it's... actually? No. 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 Okay. Cause apocalypse, extinction, afterlife, and retribution. And then the final chapter is the last one. So they're literally just different words of, they're just, they're synonyms. Well, they're not all synonyms, but they're they're all- basically synonyms. They're all terrible. Although, honestly, coming back to Paul W.S. Anderson after the, like, pathway through Uwe Boll has really made me appreciate Paul W.S. Anderson. Except this is not really a Paul W.S. Anderson movie because- 
Well, he did write it. He was busy making Alien vs. Predator when this movie was in production. So he produced it, and it was directed by Alexander Witt, who was a very prolific second unit director in Hollywood who has done tons of action directing, which is why they chose him, apparently. And uh, no other features. This is literally like the only feature he's directed, right? Oh, this is, yeah, this was his first feature. But, I mean, second unit directors are very experienced at directing because, for those who are not aware, the way that most blockbuster films work is you have the main unit, which is all of the above-the-line, top-build creative people and the main cast. And then you have a second unit, which goes around and films any insert shots, any effects shots that don't require the main actors, any like stunt scenes with doubles that don't require the main cast. All of that kind of stuff is shot with a second team that has its own director and DOP. So he was a director of photography and director for second unit shoots on like dozens and dozens of big Hollywood movies. So like a person with like experience in doing things, but not a person whose name you'll ever really notice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely put together competently. Yeah. This is we got to get to it. Competent like, film. <laughs> the the first thing I noticed when the movie started, it was like, ah, competent editing. <laughs> Honestly, same. It was such a relief. <laughs> I will take charge of the recap for this week. Honestly, it didn't leave much of an impact on me, so feel free to butt in if I'm forgetting super important things. In general, it starts basically where the last movie left off, like a few before. 13 hours. Yeah, thir 13 hours. Okay. It feels like longer, but whatever. It starts with essentially the zombie apocalypse happening. We're introduced to Jill Valentine, who is the actual like protagonist of the games, who is in the movies now, which is interesting. Eventually, she ends up with a ragtag group of survivors who cannot escape the city because Rad Umbrella Corporation has shut it down. They are being chased by... Not just zombies, but the nemesis, which is big monster zombie dude. They team up with Alice at some point in time. They get put on a mission by a scientist who works for Umbrella to go collect his daughter so that they can get out of the city. So they agree to go do that. They track down the daughter. Bunch of people die. Eventually, they end up on a rooftop. Alice has to fight the nemesis, who's her friend from the first movie who made it. Turns out the little girl and her are both, like, infected with the T-virus, but, like, in a way that isn't going to turn them into zombies, but just makes them, like, well, for the little girl, not paraplegic, and for Alice, a super kick-ass, badass person. She defeats the nemesis long enough to turn the nemesis against its creators, uh, and then they steal a fucking helicopter. Uh, but then Alice gets captured because... Of course she does. And her new friends come to save her from a facility, but they like intentionally let her go. And that's where the movie ends. There's really not much to this at the end of the day. Most of it is just kind of running around between different like action sets in the city. Like, I don't think I really missed that much in the plot. Yeah, it's. Yeah. The only thing that you didn't really mention is that there are 
two kind of separate groups of lead characters because there's also a team of umbrella security soldiers that are separately stuck in the city and trying to escape after they get stranded there by umbrella and they also get contacted by the scientist and make a deal to rescue his daughter yeah but by the end everybody's part of the same group throughout the first chunk of the movie it's cutting pretty competently between the like three well it starts off as like four and then comes down to like three and then narrows throughout the movie uh different plot lines but again it's competently done so you actually know what the hell is going on i know this is very weird praise but after watching you babel fail so spectacularly at tossing between two different storylines this feels like master class cinema <laughs> yeah It certainly looks better sandwiched in between House of the Dead and Alone in the Dark. What are your general thoughts about the movie? My general thoughts? I mean, I enjoyed watching this movie. I forgot about it immediately after, but I enjoyed it at the time. And uh, it felt... I haven't played the Resident Evil games, but I've seen a few like cutscenes from some of them. And this plot... There were at least scenes that I recognized f- as drawing from cutscenes from at least one of the games, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah, I think this is slightly better than the first movie, if only because the action sequences are bigger and dumber in a way that is more entertaining. And it's not trying to do as much as a horror movie, which the first one definitely was. This one, it's it's a very breezy action movie with some light horror elements. And yeah, it's pretty fun. I just think that the horror elements were actually done better than the first movie. Even like even they were fewer, but they worked more. I enjoyed my time with Resident Evil 2. And I do think I enjoyed it more than the first one, even though I think the first one was definitely trying harder. <laughs> One of the interesting things about this movie, though, if we want to get into more details, and Nathan knows a bit more about this, is that Jill Valentine is in the movie, and there's, like, a lot of implied meta backstory stuff. Yes, that is a thing that I kept noticing. This movie was definitely made primarily for people who have played the games, because there is so much that gets vaguely gestured at by things that happen in the movie that unless you are familiar with the events of the games you would not pick up on at all this movie is primarily based on resident evil 3 uh which makes sense because the second game in the franchise is kind of a retread of the first one in that it's all contained in a single location and you have your like split between two protagonists the the content of the story itself is significantly different but the the tone and the setup is very similar uh but the third one diverges in a number of ways that are pretty important especially for how it's adapted one of which is you only really have Jill Valentine as the main perspective character. It isn't split between two different perspectives like the first two games. There are a couple of sequences where you play as other people, but mostly it focuses on Jill. And in the third game, 
the location is split between several different locales in Raccoon City, and you actually get to go out into the streets and move between buildings, which is something that you never really got to do in the first two. It was mostly that there were some outside sequences, but they were tended to be very short and like within the same general area. So Raccoon City becomes a bit more of a lived-in location in the third game, and they drew a lot of those elements into the movie, which is kind of cool to see, because a lot of these adaptations don't really do that. The the lived-in location in question, by the way, is clearly somewhere in Canada. Oh, it's Toronto. (laughs) It's downtown Toronto. It's downtown. We kept getting shots. We lived in Toronto for a while, and I was like, I'm like, 90% 90% sure that's downtown. Like, I, I've passed that CIBC, which also they didn't block up that it was a CIBC once, which this isn't a problem. It's just weird because most movies try so hard to make cities clearly not Canada. On the the building that gets blown up at the end of the movie is literally just the Toronto City Hall building. Yeah, oh, which we've passed like thousands of times. So the, the presence of Jill Valentine is is more than that, though, is because the character gets a very limited backstory in the movie. She's the like short haired cop lady. She in With the movie short shorts. Who, uh, the short shorts and a tube top, which a tube top is worse than the short shorts, in my opinion, because there's some problems when you're running with those. But the, the extent of the backstory you get in this is she was part of S.T.A.R.S., which is like the elite cops, essentially. Well, it's, it's a like search and rescue unit that is attached to the police force. Yeah, it's like it's attached to the cops. You get the sense that she was like essentially a, a cop, but she was kicked off the force for it seems like just killing a bunch of people because when she comes back to save everybody's asses at the police station later... She's doing so because she already knows the zombies are a thing, because what she actually did wasn't kill a bunch of people, it was kill a bunch of zombies. Yeah, this movie implies that at some point in the timeline of the cinematic version of this universe, some version of the events of the first game just happened off screen. Yeah, somewhere over there. In In a different mansion with a different lab underneath it. The first game happened. So that's weird. But Jill's here now. I actually quite like Jill as a character. This movie actually has like several characters in the survivors group that I like genuinely enjoyed. Yeah. They're not like, it's not like one person, although there is a like superior person among them by far. There definitely is. There is. Do we want to get in into the plot or do we want to deal characters? I mean, I feel like this movie is pretty light on plot details to get into so i think it's probably better and more entertaining if we just talk about characters and action beats i do want to point out that one of the first things that happens in this movie is like literally just like literally the first thing that happens in this movie is an entire recap of the first movie oh yeah which i actually felt worked uh the way they formatted it was it was kind of a weird digital space where we're jumping between little snippets of the previous film with Alice doing a voiceover, which we've 
slammed voiceovers on this podcast before, rightfully so. <laughs> but this one actually kind of worked because you could sometimes see her face as if she was talking into some kind of camera, which we actually get a scene later where we see her start to tell the camera, uh, tell a like personal re- vo- uh, video recorder that this news reporter lady had uh she's talking into that to explain it and it's the beginning of the opening thing and i actually didn't hate it so i think one of the big differences is that it doesn't also have a needless text scroll and yes it's actually explaining something and it's explaining something relevant and then it's explaining it in a way that makes sense because all of the other voiceovers we've had at this point kind of fail one of those categories or all of them (laughs) so yeah the movie starts like that but we don't actually start the movie with alice we start with like a bunch of people who work for umbrella being kidnapped by umbrella corp the first central character of which we get introduced to is the scientist whose name escapes me uh dr Ashford. ashford yes dr ashford a paraplegic scientist who works for umbrella corp who later in the movie we find out one has a uh, daughter who he like sends people out to get this is that guy and two actually kind of invented the t-virus but like only to make his daughter better and then umbrella corp was like oh man we can make zombies out of this shit (laughs) uh so they did that and he's like this sucks yeah he's cool if a little manipulative He, he's he's generally a good dude with who wants to save his daughter and will manipulate some people s- gently to do so. Uh, notably, this guy is played by Jared Harris, who in everything else I've seen uh, plays really creepy, semi-evil to just extremely evil people. So it was really cool to see him playing someone nice. Yeah, he's at the very least a morally kind of neutral character. Yeah, most people will probably know him as the Moriarty of the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes movies. Yeah, he's mm. actually kind of a name comparative to the rest of the cast anyways. Like, Mila Jovovich is, I don't know, she had the potential to become a really big deal, but then she made like eight of these instead of anything else. So like... <laughs> I mean, these movies were super popular, like all of them. But you still need to do more than one series of movies to be a big name actor most of the time, unless you are seven to 14. I mean, she has been in other things, but that's a fair point. She spent a large chunk of her career basically only making movies with her husband. Yeah. A a lot of the Uh, cast of this movie is made up of various TV and character actors, and a lot of them are pretty good, actually. Like, uh, one of the other characters, one of the Umbrella security people is, uh, Another character from the games, uh, Carlos Oliveira, who is played by Oded Fair, who has done tons of stuff. He does a lot of voice work and TV stuff, but he was also a supporting character in the Mummy movies. <laughs> he's he's also okay. fine. And then there's Sienna Gilroy, who played Jill Valentine, who is also in just dozens and dozens of movies and TV appearances. Yeah. Lexi, you were going to say something? Uh Oh, I just was gonna say that i know jared harris from fringe which is a cool tv show um he played david robert jones who's just like 
really evil <laughs> and like was trying to bring about the end of both universes in that show. He's also in The Expanse as like sort of a gang leader. It's He does have one of those very character typable faces where yeah, he just they usually kind of mess up his face actually. Like they make usually give him like some kind of scarring or pock marks. Maybe he's just really easy to paint makeup on too. Maybe that's all it is. <laughs> Maybe he's just the only guy that I all know who's like, I really love getting scars on my face. <laughs> But anyways, he does fine in this movie, as you would expect. As we mentioned, he's mostly a nice dude, a little bit manipulative. Doesn't mention that the helicopter they're going to get on at the end of the movie is actually for a giant monster. But hey, he's got ulterior motives, and those ulterior motives are his adorable daughter. Yeah, she's pretty nice. Did anybody else pick up on the connection to the first movie that is implied by the daughter? I don't know if I did. The daughter is what the Red Queen AI was based on, implying that Dr. Ashford was the one who built the AI system for the hive. Man, Dr. Ashford is a very, very intelligent, multi-talented science. AI, biology, this dude's got it all. Um, He's the quintessential movie scientist. I can do science. That means all of it. He's movie smart. He's movie smart. His daughter is... Got a little bit of that creepy British child energy, not too much, but she does have a little bit sense of like, I don't know if I'd leave you alone with a knife for too long. She's precocious. Um, She's precocious. She's not, though. She's mostly fine. She's like probably vaguely traumatized, and she's got a like knockoff Transformers lunch kit filled with antivirus. Anti-serum, yeah. She, for someone who's traumatized, she takes things fairly well in stride. She's definitely having a bad time. She does see her dad get shot right in front of her. But, like, she seems relatively okay. You get the sense that her dad prepared her for some stuff. And also, she's, like, spent her whole life sick and being vaguely experimented on. So, yeah, eh, not in, like, a harmful way she's like fine but she's still, the successful experimental child yes she's <laughs> rather than she was the horrifying monster up. that she could have been but it worked so uh she also like almost dies like a bunch of times in this movie part of which happens when we get one thing ticked off a box i've complained about before we get some child zombies in this movie i have mentioned previously how they never go there I'm glad they went there. There's a whole school of child zombies in this movie. Which they notably don't shoot the child zombies, which I think would have been a step too far. But I they do have they... the child zombies eat someone. So, Yeah, I don't think they could have shot the child zombies because I think that would have boosted their rating. Uh, yeah. The US rating system is garbage, for one thing, but also, you know, shooting kids is one of those few things that they're not okay with seeing on films at least they don't really put that in anything in video games where there are like kids around you can do whatever it's like that they have iframes they're just invulnerable it's fine yeah kids generally speaking are bullet and zombie proof at least in this movie there are some already dead kids i'm not saying i like that the kids are dead i'm saying that they almost never use this opportunity And it's a good opportunity to make some really upsetting imagery. And it works in this. Who do we want to talk about now? Can we talk about Um, LJ? 
the superior, <laughs> the most, the best character in the movie. Okay, we all agree yeah. that LJ is the superior character. I do have to note, LJ has some mildly stereotypical characteristics. I don't think he's like a terrible racist character or anything. But like, there's a couple moments where you're like, they might be taking this a bit obvious route, but he's just so likable. Yeah. He's just so likable. So the first time we see LJ, who wants to tell the story? LJ, we see LJ at a police station near the beginning of the movie when we're also introduced to Jill Valentine. And it doesn't look like he's going to be relevant. It's just like, oh, he's an extra with a couple lines of like, hey, don't shoot me. I'm not a zombie. The lady next to me that you already shot was the zombie, but she shoots at him, but not in a way that hits him, but in a way that shoots his handcuffs off, which is, uh, he, he has a really bad time throughout this whole movie <laughs> with people pointing guns at him. But yeah, uh, LJ he, is a yeah, thoroughly so, like normal dude who just happens to be in the right place at the right time to not get killed like every other normal person in this movie. Uh, he's not a cop. Yeah, he, he's not an umbrella security team member. He's not some mutant. He's just a dude. Yeah, <laughs> just he's a dude. Just a, a black man with a bowler hat, apparently customized golden pistols, which I don't know if he ever actually uses. I get the distinct he sense them. he owns those guns to show off, mostly at parties, probably because he has like one or two friends who are like more gangster than him and he feels like he has to like blend in. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, he definitely feels like he, uh, he he puts on a show, but he's not really that hardcore. <laughs> but we do get one of the best lines in the entire movie from him pretty early on in his I don't know if he has an arc, but in his introduction is he's driving in a car and he runs over a zombie and he shouts, GTA, motherfuckers, 10 points. (laughs) And I'm just like, that's my favorite character in the movie. You took a bad day and you made it into something more enjoyable. I support LJ. (laughs) And then shortly thereafter, he gets distracted by two stripper zombies yeah. That are topless, standing on the side of the road, and he runs into another car. Which checks off box number two I complained about for, was it House of the Dead? Where yeah. there's a lot of zombies and there's a lot of tits, but there's no tit zombies. This movie has tit zombies. Yep. Paul W.S. Yep. Anderson does what Uwe can't. <laughs> Throughout the movie, LJ gets pointed at with guns a lot. There's a sniper who... Like he he finds a stronghold of stars officers and there's a sniper and he almost gets shot by him and then he goes into the the building once the guy realizes oh he's not a zombie and then uh like twelve people shove guns in his face <laughs> he's just like come on please stop uh, and then Nemesis shows up and kills all of the stars officers around him he's just standing there screaming understandably but he's not a target so the nemesis zombie robot is doesn't shoot him and it's just more of this throughout the whole movie it's just him being really sad about being having guns shoved at him an ordinary guy in simultaneously the wrong place at the wrong time and the right place at the right time because say what you will about having guns nearly shot at you a million times he's one of the only survivors of raccoon city at the end of the movie (laughs) i kind of wish he was the lead honestly 
I kind of yeah, wish this movie was like a lightly comedic horror movie where it's just this random guy stumbling through the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Unknowingly running into a bunch of like stuff that's clearly important and related to what's going on, but like he only cares in so much as these people seem to know how to kill the zombies. I'm with them for now. <laughs> And he does do his best to help. He's not like useless clinger on either. He's like, he's not like the most competent of the team, but he's like always doing his best and he never like needlessly holds everybody back or he doesn't have like a cowardly moment where he like is a bad person to have around and they all have to save him. He's just like fun. (laughs) I just like him. Yeah. He's also very pragmatic. (laughs) There's a scene uh, when they go to the school to find Ashford's daughter, uh, they all get separated because they're going to search different floors. And LJ gets cornered by a zombie and saved by Carlos, who he doesn't know at this point, but they are also they've been sent to find the daughter. And so they stay together until they meet back up with everybody else. And then immediately uh, Alice can tell that Carlos is infected (laughs) and she's like, how long has it been since you were bitten? And LJ's like, what? I've been hanging around with you. You didn't tell me this. And he walks across to the other side of the room and he's just like disgusted that he was like with a zombie this whole time. Yeah. LJ, genuinely great character. Uh, I do want to quickly bring up one of my favorite characters who only lasts one scene, which is the cowboy with the walkie-talkie who almost shoots him. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted him to be a regular character. He just seemed like so much fun. I really enjoyed cow. So the guy in the top of the stars building with the sniper rifle has a cowboy hat and a walkie-talkie, and is just like a cowboy. And it's, like, hilarious, and he seems really entertaining, and he has a few good lines, and then he gets shot by a nemesis. And I'm just like, aw, not the cowboy. I wanted him to be a new character. And he also, like, shotguns a beer while he's sniping zombies. He just seems like he's having a good time. You know, he's doing the best with a bad situation. Yeah, this movie cycles through a lot of characters. Like they'll they'll introduce some characters, kill a few of them, introduce a few more, kill off a couple of those, then kill off the group, and then it's just like here we are, pared down. But you know, they're like entertaining in the moment usually. They do a good job of making you at least kind of know who the characters are a little bit before they get murdered. Another example of uh, one of these characters. Yeah, unlike House of the Dead. Another one of those characters would be Jill's partner, uh, or former partner. I think his name was Peyton? Uh, yes. Who isn't in the movie for very long, but exists long enough to basically help Jill get some people to safety and then get shot or get eaten by zombies. Yeah, he gets bitten pretty early on when they are trying to get out of the city, uh, and then the gates get closed and the umbrella security forces open fire on everybody and drive them away from the walls. And then he tags along with them for a while, and when they meet up with Alice, she tells them that eventually they're going to have to shoot him, because like at the time they don't have any antivirus, so they don't have any way of, of curing him. And they have this brief moment where Jill has to convince Alice that she's going to be willing to shoot Peyton when the time comes, if there's no other way. It's like, it, it adds a bit of drama to the group that is decently effective. Who's next? 
Uh, we could talk about the weather lady. Yes. Uh, mm. One of the other key members of the group who lasts through most of the movie, but doesn't make it to the very end. Woman who we are introduced to firstly in the movie as a weather girl, uh, who is an aspiring actual journalist who takes the time to like photograph a lot of what's been going on around them with her video camera and is like smart and capable and not like prepared to do any fighting because that's not her area of expertise but she lasts a, like surprisingly long time through this movie and i quite liked her so i was sad when she she bit it this is one of a couple moments where i'm gonna break in and give some behind the scenes context because there was a number of scenes that were shot for this movie that were either longer than they ended up in the actual movie or were cut entirely and one of the things they cut was this character had not really an arc but at least a little bit more going on with her than ended up in the final movie there's a scene at the beginning where we're first introduced to her when she's doing the weather on TV. Uh, there's an extended version of that scene where you find out through some bits of dialogue with other characters that she was a anchor at the station until she was disgraced for some untold reason and got demoted to doing the weather. And she is now, like, trying desperately to find, like, the story that will get her back on the anchor desk and, like, win her an Emmy. Uh, and she also has a drug addiction. <laughs> She's taking Wait, pills in, like, every scene. There are, like, alternate takes of most scenes where she is, like, shaking pills out of a bottle and taking them. Until <laughs> late in the movie when Alice throws the bottle away because she doesn't trust the like umbrella pharmaceuticals because obviously it doesn't really go anywhere and it kind of makes her character less likable just because she's kind of harping on everybody all the time in these extended scenes so i get why they would have cut it it also just kind of messes with the pacing of a lot of the scenes yeah you do get the sense there was more to her though because she's She's very prominently there for a character who has very little to do in the movie, really. Yeah. I, I don't regret this loss because, yeah, I don't think that would add, like, anything <laughs> to the movie. Yeah, the more important thing that she... The, the more important function she serves in the final movie is that she has a video camera that she is carrying around with her and is documenting everything that's going on. Because she thinks if they get out of the city, she will have this as a Emmy Award winning story and she'll have the footage to back it up. Yes, there's a very interesting way to handle this in the end also that I want to touch on because they do get out of the city with the videotapes or I don't know, digital recordings. I don't exactly know what the camera did, but they get out of it with the footage and they get it on the news and everybody is told about it and they still don't get the information out good enough because it still gets covered up. And I think that's honestly kind of a more realistic, more interesting way of telling this kind of a story than the really typical, well, all you have to do is to get the information out there and then everybody will wake up and that's all it takes narrative. Because no, no, not when there's canonically a like giant mega corporation that has huge influence over the media and the government in this world there would be extreme pushback and it would probably get a lot of people's attention and i'm sure it would be the result of a like massive like 
movement against them. But of course the news would find some reason to cover it up. And of course it eventually would become nothing. That's I, I like in a system that's clearly as corrupt as this one is, I it it would be unrealistic that it would bring everything down immediately, at least. Mm-hmm. Especially when there was only one source and they're dead. Yeah. And the other two sources, the people who brought you this information, are a disgraced search and rescue team member who killed a bunch of people and some dude. It's not not to be a negative Nancy, but like, we live in 2020. We know that just seeing a fascist being called a fascist on the news doesn't actually stop anybody from supporting the fascist. It's just- It doesn't work. It's more complicated than that. And it's important to know the truth, but that's not enough. And this movie does, in its last minutes, be like, no, the information got out there, but, like, this is a bigger problem than that. We can't- the kind of people who have the power to destroy an entire city just because they want to can't be stopped by one news piece on this TV stations that they own. Yeah, notably, Umbrella was, like, using the city as an experimental, like, testing ground for Nemesis and the zombie plague like they just kind of closed it up and were like let's just do testing here now and then we'll nuke it eventually yeah, they like, they okay, decided it was great. too late to save people which it wasn't like objectively yeah, really speaking wasn't. there was lots and lots of people there and they could have scanned for it and they had antivirus they could have yeah. done a lot and they didn't um like the reagan administration um <laughs> Sorry, I'm harping on American politics a lot, and I'm a Canadian. Maybe it's not my no, place. No, you're right. You you have you're 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 right. This movie has some underlying depth that I don't know was intended when they made this movie. Oh, I doubt it. Uh, but it does in 2020 feel a little bit more relevant than you might think. It's a thing that occurs with giant mega corporation movies where they feel more relevant than they used to. Uh, uh. By and large, it's your superstore. <laughs> We've got all you need in zombie gore. Most importantly, I do think it's it's just an interesting element that, and it's been in both of these movies, that the film is critical of Umbrella Corp, but also isn't necessarily presenting its actions in a way that are like as cartoonish as you might expect. It's... It's kind, like, obviously it's cartoonish in the sense that they're making zombies. But at the end of the day, there's nothing they're doing that a real corporation with that much power wouldn't do. To be fair, the, like, the the discussions, the theories on the internet aren't far off from this kind of thing. Like, the, the real world theories are drawing from films like this i mean it's yeah again trying not to talk about it but just like there is a difference between i don't know it's it's a problem with a lot of media is that media reflects reality but sometimes people who want who don't want to accept the way the world actually is or can't for whatever reason or have been led a different direction start believing that reality reflects media essentially that the the effect is they're talking about the real world but the the like crazier parts are what they're talking about not the like clear metaphorical comparison to the real world like me and nathan just watched they live 
not too long ago. And that's a movie that has been like seriously taken as like a thing by anti-Semites and neo-Nazis and like, oh, the aliens are the Jews. But the movie, if you watch it, is just like so incredibly clearly about capitalism. It's very, very explicit. It's the least subtle metaphor I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> it's it's billboards and like stockbrokers and profit. It's very, very, very much about capitalism. Yeah. So anytime you have a metaphor that is even one step removed from reality, someone's going to take it and do the stupidest possible thing with it. Yeah. And this movie is just as usable for that as anything else. But it's not nearly as impactful enough that anybody bothers. <laughs> Although I would be kind of jazzed for the internet cult that was all about the Resident Evil movies. I could at least laugh at them more easily. Yeah, what, one of the things that it seemed, I'll try not to be super loud with me saying it, but um, the there are people who believe that people in power are using films and stuff as like signatures or like hints at their secret real world dealings and like actions as because they're they've been trained by media that like every serial killer or whatever has to have like a like they leave behind some kind of calling card everyone so in the real world people in big conspiracies are like yeah we're doing this thing but you're too stupid to know and so we're gonna put it in all our movies it's like um hmm that's not how that works but here we are anyway yeah also it's a minor note there's like one serial killer who did that and like they never figured out who that guy was but like most of the serial killers in the world just like murder a bunch of people and then eventually murder someone the cops actually care about and then get caught (laughs) that's usually how it works they don't usually like leave notes behind it's not not how they generally operate (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> characters 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 we've discussed most of the characters uh we mentioned jill but we didn't go into much detail about her honestly that's because there's not much detail about her yeah the, she's or sli- alice like she and alice are kind of interchangeable yeah she's a slightly different variant on the same like tough girl thing that she doesn't feel exactly like alice in the movie but while looking back on it i struggle to find any reason they're not the same person yeah yeah there is this inherent problem in this movie and i'm gonna guess that it probably extends to the later movies which is that because they did the first movie with this original character and now they want to pull in characters from the games because of either fan recognition or fan service, whatever the reasoning is, it means that you now have this original protagonist who has to share the narrative with characters who already have an established place in the world because of the lore of the games. So you're jockeying for attention between these two characters and they just end up kind of feeling like the same person. There's very little to differentiate these two except for Alice's powers that are given to her by the virus, except that Jill also kind of is like a superhero, not to the same degree, but like she's a badass, like cool and collected character that shoots guns and smokes cigarettes. Like there's very little to actually 
differentiate these two in the narrative. And the narrative cares much more about Alice because she is like the protagonist from the first movie and that's fair. But she's also introducing a lot of like, yeah, the whole super powered T-virus stuff. And she feels kind of like a chosen one shoved into Resident Evil. It's it's weird. It creates weird vibes. Uh, Alice is basically the same as she was in the last movie, which is to say action girl. Um, yeah. She is they, they make, tougher and more hardened now. They basically made both her and Jill like strong female characters, but they didn't make them complex female characters. It's just like both of them are kind of cold. They're, they're, they have moments. I'm not saying that there's nothing there emotionally, but they're both kind of cold, like shooty shoot, punchy punch, and we're good at those things. And also wear like booty shorts or whatever actually uh alice's outfit is much stupider in this movie uh jill's outfit is impractical but it's a literal copy of her video game outfit so i'm gonna just like i I don't feel like commenting on it necessarily alice's outfit is because alice doesn't exist in the games original and just insane so early on in the movie she's naked because she was naked at the end of the first movie and she has to be naked at the end of all of these fucking movies. <laughs> She's naked at the end of this one. Anyways, uh, she ends up in an army surplus place, or just like a general surplus store, maybe. And the outfit she compiles is a tank top covered by a full-sleeved mesh shirt. So, like, netting over... It's kind of neat. It's kind of neat. I can see someone I- in the 90s wearing it. Yeah, that part's fine. I had a net shirt for a while. I think they're kind of neat. That part's whatever. I don't think the colors are great, but that's, you know, neither here nor there, and you can barely tell in the dark. The weird part about her outfit is that she's got pants with one short leg and one long leg. (laughs) Yep. And and they aren't ripped off at some point in the movie. She enters the movie like that. It's like they're trying to parallel her like high low s- to the side dress from the first movie. Yeah, maybe that's it. It's just it's just a weird it's just a weird outfit. Uh but getting back to the point with both of the women is that yeah, they're both they're both kind of Samus Arans, like tough women with no characters who seem to have a bit of a motherly instinct and that's about it. Like they're both nice to the kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um Alice is freaked out because she's you know been like brutally experimented on and is now some kind of weird super zombie um that's about all i got for her this year this time around she's not getting more interesting sorry guys no oh the other two characters that are part of the main group we haven't talked about are or at least not in any detail are carlos and nikolai i believe yes These are both characters that are drawn from the games. Carlos is a protagonist in... I want to say he's like one of the secondary protagonists in 3. You occasionally play as him. Uh, And then Nikolai is actually... In the games, he is like a twist villain. Uh, He turns out to be working... um, like with the antagonistic force in in one of the games. Uh, And then... In this, he just dies. In this, yeah, in this, he's just a member of the same umbrella security team as Carlos, and he he gets a sacri- semi heroic sacrifice. Yeah. He sacrifices himself. He doesn't really get that much to do in the movie. Carlos is the 
more substantial character of the two. And he's also just kind of like gruff military dude. Nikolai gets one good line, though, where uh, somebody, I think Alice says, you work for Umbrella. And then he says, I'm freelance now. That's a good moment. Yeah, good. (laughs) Nikolai gets like a good humanizing moment. So I care when he dies. Uh, Carlos doesn't die, so he doesn't have to have humanizing moments. So the the end of the movie, Carlos, LJ, Jill, and the child, whose name escapes all of us. Angela. Angela, Angie, look like cool badasses and pick up Alice from a facility after she, like, is stripped naked again, put in a tube, like Mewtwo (laughs) style, uh, pulled out of the tube, uh, and is now hella psychic. Yeah, like, she can just melt people's OP brains OP of now. OPs. Yeah. She can blow people up. She can't see in other rooms with her mind. Yeah, she did it through a camera. She gives a man a nosebleed through a camera. Yeah. <laughs> and she- then she changes all of the monitors in the security room to show her on that camera. This power set is wild and inconsistent. And she's also very good at kicks still. Really good at yeah. kicks. Yeah. She there is an alternate science guy in the eye but then decides not to and like just punches him out and it's like okay that was thank you for not giving us Igor. Yeah. Nobody likes Igor. Yeah, there was an alternate cut of this ending where they don't show up to rescue her right away. She like escapes on her own using her psychic powers and then she's like wandering out on the street and they roll up and find her. But in this version of the ending they show up to the facility dressed as umbrella like operatives and try to like presumably are there to like break her out uh but she has already like gotten out on her own and then the doctor who was experimenting on her who brings her out of the tube calls the security gate and tells them to let her go i think implying that this was part of their plan anyway that they were going to like release her and then they're initializing Project Alice. Yeah. And her oh, yeah. iris flashes with umbrella. And the movie ends. Uh, I guess we should also vaguely touch on Nemesis because that is like a follow through from the first movie. Yes, Nemesis is yeah. one of the more impressive, at least filmmaking achievements of this movie uh, in terms of the effects and design, in part because he looks pretty much exactly like the character in the game which is to say kind of gross <laughs> yeah project nemesis in this movie they turned they took matt who was mutating and like did a bunch of experiments on him and they kind of built him and alice as like op- as like opposing forces opposing experiments to figure out which one they should stick with like they made him this weird tank that's just like he's just muscle he's just a mass of muscle he can jump over stuff but he's not fast uh but he can just like take infinite damage apparently and carries a minigun and a bazooka i guess where rocket launcher it's very pleasing fast they do yeah they they do call it a rocket launcher rather than a bazooka uh but they have them fight and um he ends up kind of during their fight he kind of comes out of his programming and rescues them but yeah it's i don't know he's 
he's a spooky flesh man and she's a speedy vampire or something. Yeah, uh, he's also, yeah, he's very much a bulletproof impervious giant monster thing, which the Resident Evil series, like, it's a thing. They do that. They have a big muscle man in, like, a lot of their movies. Uh, for how important he was in the first movie and how much emphasis was put on him at the very end, it's kind of weird how little interaction between him and Alice there really is. Because it's really just that one scene. But, yeah, the effect is super impressive. Like, he looks really good. He's got a weird amount of Robocop in him, also. There's a lot of, like... There's some shots from his perspective where there's like the kind of similar UI-ish effect and he's like being programmed by a big evil corporation. Uh, He's not Robocop for obvious reasons, but there's definitely some inspiration there. He Kool-Aid mans through the wall. Yes, I just wrote, oh yeah, in my notes there. (laughs) He does just Kool-Aid man through a wall at one point in time. Uh, and he also does like shoot up an entire thing of clearly cop-coded characters. So you don't hate him in the first part of the movie. You hate him later. Yeah, there's this weird disconnect uh, with the movie because in the game, Nemesis is a like experimental mutated weapon that Umbrella has been designing and they deploy him in Raccoon City to track down, specifically to track down the STARS agents that uncovered their experiments in the first and second games. So he is there to track down the remaining STARS agents that lived through the first two games, Uh, which makes sense because they're trying to cover up their operations. In this movie, the first game is like vaguely implied in Jill being there, but there's way more stars people in this, and they seem to have just like set Nemesis on them just to see what would happen, which is wild. Yeah, the because it's like they're the heads of Umbrella don't seem to people. The heads of Umbrella don't seem to have much intention behind this, besides, oh, let's see what this thing can do. Yeah, like, the yeah. stars people aren't even doing anything when he finds them. They're just holed up in their headquarters. You could make the argument that they were trying to kill them because they were the ones most likely to get out of the city because they were, like, highly trained special operatives, but, like, nobody says that, so... Yeah, they're also clearly trying to hang Alice's arc in this movie on Nemesis because the whole showdown you get these flashbacks and reminders that Nemesis is Matt from the first movie, uh, which might be effective if, you know, either of them had any real character. (laughs) But as is, it's just kind of a thing that happens. He comes back a little bit during the fight, and like we said before, he rescues them. He gets crushed by a helicopter. (laughs) Yeah, he, he dies, gets crushed by a helicopter. The most interesting thing about nemesis is uh he's an effect that was designed by the master effects artist paul jones who is a canadian vfx artist who has basically worked on any major blockbuster that has a prominent amount of physical special effects uh he's a really fantastic like sculptor and artist and they approached him for this movie and gave him the script and asked him if he would be willing to do the effects for the whole movie. And he read through it and he said, I want to do Nemesis. 
I want to just put all of my energy into making Nemesis. And it shows that they had a master on, because that thing looks fantastic. I found an interview where he talked about it, and he said that he had hopes that Nemesis would become a like horror movie icon in the vein of like Freddy Krueger or Michael Myers, mm-hmm. which unfortunately didn't really happen, but I don't think that's on him. I think that's just on the fact that these movies are pretty forgettable. Well, but- I could see a universe where that happened. He's a very interesting thing. And he seemed really intent on getting the design as close as possible to the original game because he wanted the fans of the games to see and recognize Nemesis the moment he stepped on screen. And he totally succeeded at that because this the effect looks great. He's a terrifying hulking presence and he does look exactly like the character design in the games. Yeah. Overall, I'm going to have to say this movie's effects are fantastic for the time. There was no Mm -hmm. moment like the first one where I looked at anything and I was like, well, that has aged poorly. Everything looks fine in this movie or better than fine. They clearly cared about making it look good. Yeah, Yeah, the only major CG effect is that there are a couple liquors that appear. God, I hate that name. Sorry. Characters are hiding in a church, uh, and they they contracted that out to a CG effects company. But Uh, they are kept in the dark and at a distance most of the time, like you're supposed to do when you've got a CG model and you know it doesn't look good up close. They had actually tried (laughs) to do physical... Uh, like puppet effects for them and it just didn't look good enough so they took those scenes and then they hired like a third party to to animate over them and I think it it works well enough it's it doesn't bring the overall look of the movie down like the first movie did uh yeah everything holds together visually in this in a way that the first movie doesn't also returning from the first movie upsettingly zombie dogs god I hate the zombie dogs they look so wet (laughs) Really they just wet. look wet. I don't. Un- they. They. I don't understand how they go from you know regular dogs, you know regular puppers, to <laughs> wet meaty blood dogs in like the five minutes between them dying and becoming zombies. My question is: Do only Dobermans be affected by the zombie virus, or <laughs> do all dogs turn into Dobermans when infected with the zombie virus? Because I don't know which is more upsetting. Just imagine a Chihuahua hulking out into a wet. <laughs> like a zombie Chihuahua dog. is also a really terrifying concept to me. I would be horrified by a zombie Chihuahua. Being able to drop kick it doesn't make it any better. <laughs> You've never seen Blade, have you? No, but I know motherfuckers always be trying to ipe skate uphill. There are zombie dogs in Blade that their entire heads open up to be just gaping maws filled with teeth. I had a nightmare once <laughs> where my dad could like open up his entirety of his head like like this, like all the way, like 90 degrees from the mouth all the way back. And he would like, it was like zombies and they were like... <laughs> A series of these things. Eventually, my dad got infected that would like bite over the entirety of somebody else's head over the neck, and that's how you'd become one of these monsters. Anyways, I would Yikes. just try. Yeah, my dreams are not pleasant, in case you were put, wondering. Put that in inside movie. my. That'll be a yikes for me. <laughs> I rank this nightmare like thousand yikes. I still remember it, and I think I was like eight. I don't know. It was not a good dream. <laughs> so does anyone have anything more to say about Nemesis? 
No, but it should be able to unhinge his jaw like a boa constrictor and bite <laughs> over the entirety of people's heads. His, his teeth are just kind of out the whole time. Oh yeah, the the one that he uh, Paul Jones designed the Nemesis like mock up and showed it to the producers and director, and the only note they gave him was make the teeth pointier because he nailed everything else. It was exactly what they wanted. <laughs> yeah, we just nice. need you to sharpen those teeth a little bit, buddy. Uh, okay. And if you know anything about VFX, that never happens. You oh, usually have to go through like a dozen variations before you find the thing that looks good on screen. But now this, they nailed it in one. Paul voice. Jones, man. Highlight to a Canadian treasure. Uh, I don't know if there's much more to really talk about. There, There is something I really want to talk about. Nail. And yeah, that go is for it. the sound design choices in this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go for it. Namely, uh, so they have pretty good fight scenes in this movie, a lot better than the first movie, for sure. But every single punch has a whip sound effect. <laughs> yeah, there's like a whip. It's a very like light, fast, it's very cartoony. It's a very weird choice. So every fight is just followed by, you know, impact sounds. But every, why? Why? <laughs> It's made even weirder because there's one fight scene in particular where Alice is whipping a rope around while she's fighting a bunch of zombies. It's the same. And it's the same sound effect, just louder. Maybe somebody (laughs) just accidentally erased the punch sound effect in the editing suite with the whip sound effect. I mean the hit in the the hit sound is still there but the, the like as she moves through the air it's the whip and I don't understand. They're trying to make her sound fast. That's probably yeah, clearly. It, uh, I also want to mention a couple more things uh, about the end of the movie. Uh, in addition to her psychic powers, they shoot her with a taser and she's fine, which is actually oh. kind of badass. They shoot her with the taser yeah. and she grabs it out of her skin and throws it back to the guy who tased her <laughs> and he gets electrocuted. Now, I don't know how another movie happens when you've got a character this ridiculously OP, but I'm kind of interested to see it now because, like, how does anybody fight her now? Honestly, if these movies continue trending I, in this direction, I am on board for the rest of them. I, I can tell you that from the one, like, couple scenes that I've seen of, I think, Afterlife, which I think takes place in the future, everyone has digital digitally collapsing swords infinite bullets and she drives a motorcycle sideways alongside a building they it just keeps going up oh speaking of which we get a uh running down a building on cables scene in this movie which i always love they're dumb as hell but it's a good time uh and the movie ends ends and i forgot about this until i looked at my notes zooming out of the planet into a space satellite with the Umbrella Corp logo on it, which is such a bizarre, like, choice and has nothing to do with anything. But, like, it's there. I, I, I think the implication is that the satellite is beaming direct, will beam directives down to Alice. But the thing that gets me about the satellite is that the Umbrella Corp logo is plastered onto the, the, the sun collectors it's it's the on solar, solar panels, panels. Yeah. yeah 
Inefficient logo placement, B minus. Guys, you can't paint over the solar panels. That's not how that works. <laughs> they invented solar panel paint just for this. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could talk uh, about all of the stupid oh, details a- in this movie all day if we want. Lexi, you were going I to mention I do have one? a stupid detail I want to bring up. She, they, at the school when there's the zombie dogs, they end up filling a room with gas because um, Jill wants to light the dogs on fire. And she throws her match into the room, but it goes out just before it hits the... It hits the wave of gas. So what happens to light it on fire is from across the other room, Alice flicks a cigarette at high speed into the through the breaking door and then it explodes. But cigarettes don't have enough mass to hit that velocity. Oh yeah, it would disintegrate. Or it would just like float like a piece of paper. And after that point, uh is it, I think it's Jill saves the child by wrapping them both in a like flame retardant blanket, but they're like a foot from the blast, which is like that's not enough, babe. You're gonna it's, get it, it's fucked. definitely well. So actually, Alice is the one who does it. Jill ends up sliding forward onto the floor. Alice, after flicking this this cigarette, just kind of whips one of these things out and like puts it over her. So it's probably fine because it's her and they're both maybe zombies fair i will i will say they are mildly flame retardant my favorite (laughs) thing about that though is that she covers them both but leaves her own face exposed (laughs) she puts it around her head like a hood so her face is still exposed uh other other fun details uh, Alice's introduction to the rest of the gang is driving a motorcycle through a stained glass window, which is pretty oh, fucking yeah. dope. <laughs> that was actually pretty cool. Uh, later, uh, they go have a fight in a graveyard uh, with like a crap ton of zombies, which is pretty great. It's a graveyard smash. Yeah, this is another scene that has an alternate cut where there's more zombies and also some of the characters brush with death here that don't get in as much trouble but it's not really that different uh jill hits a zombie dog with a frying pan oh yeah (laughs) yeah that was a good moment uh there is just like an abundance of throwing knives carlos seems to almost exclusively use throwing knives and alice also throws a lot of knives at zombies i'm not opposed to throwing knives it's just a thing i noticed seems weird uh, I was kind of genuinely surprised they just shot the scientist since so much of the movie was like reuniting him with his daughter. Kind of yeah, a bold stance, they, honestly. They did a night, uh, like cool thing with that though, because he ends up becoming a zombie, and when they throw the villain character out of the helicopter to leave him to the zombies. Ashford is the Ashworth, whatever the doctor guy is the first zombie to get him in a kind of poetic justice way. So I thought that was a nice touch. I also like how they killed the scientist. Like they had the opportunity to do a like heroic, like we don't kill kind of moment, but they're like, nah, this is a Nazi scientist. We're going to throw him out of a helicopter and let the zombies get him. And I'm just like, yes, this is the correct thing to do. (laughs) Nobody is Uh, like, let's have mercy. Everybody's just like, let's throw him out of a helicopter. This guy sucks. (laughs) 
Uh, there's also a little bit earlier than this when Alice is like in the middle of the very big final fight, a perfectly round glass room where she can just like run just a little bit ahead of the gunshots for maximum cool effect. Yeah, that works. Mm-hmm. It's convenient. Do we have any final notes? Uh, Angela is apparently telepathic. It has a telepathic link with Alice. Oh, yeah. At the end oh, of yeah. the movie, part of her psychic powers is apparently they're psychically linked now. Great. <laughs> Yeah, I was surprised by how long the ending of the movie was. It it felt like, oh, here's the end of the movie. And then it kept going for another 15 minutes. Yeah, we also had the same thought. And then another ending. And then like the actual ending. It's a bit Return of the King. Uh, It's it's very, it it doesn't know when to stop. Uh, But I found the same thing kind of happened with the first movie. Um, hmm. I guess Paul W.S. Anderson or Alex Witt or whatever, just they don't know exactly when the actual end point of a movie is. Well, and the, the middle ending of the multiple endings is the same ending as the first movie. Yeah, this movie is, yeah. I think, better than the first movie. I also don't think you have to watch the first movie to get this one because really it recaps don't. everything important in the first minute. Yeah, like nothing, nothing outside of of uh alice and matt being nemesis is really that important so you don't really need any information from the first movie that isn't given in this one and it's not gonna add a lot of depth to alice's character so like go for it (laughs) yeah do we have fun facts beyond what you've already shared with us nate i have several fun facts to share do we want any fun facts about the games? Because I did also read up about that. I mean, we're going to be talking about these movies for a while, man. So save some of them. But if you want well, a few, go for it. Specifically about uh, Resident Evil 3. Anything that applies, sure. So this wasn't actually the, the game that this is based on. wasn't actually supposed to be Resident Evil 3. Uh, after the success of the first two, they were deep into planning for a third game in the franchise. But it was around that time that they were like ramping production up that the PlayStation 2 was announced. Uh, and they knew they weren't going to finish this game in time for it to be relevant at all before the PS2 came out. So they scrapped that and they pulled another Resident Evil project that was also in the works and made that Resident Evil 3 which was originally going to have a completely original character, but they just swapped Jill in for the lead and connected it to the first two games, which is a pretty bold move, but it totally works because Resident Evil 3 is a very good entry in the franchise. For those who haven't heard the lore or know anything about Resident Evil, the generally publicly understood trajectory of it is they keep getting better until four and then they radically get worse yes they radically get worse for two games in the main series and then i have heard that seven is good i haven't played it yet so we'll see how that goes yeah the original resident evil 3 was going to take place on a cruise ship with a side character from the second game as the protagonist who was there to recover a sample of the g virus which is the second generation virus that they're working on but they completely scrapped that (laughs) and what else can i talk about oh uh there's more effects stuff from the movies that is really interesting 
So there were multiple different groups that were hired to do effects on this movie. I talked about Paul Jones already, who did Nemesis. The other major group that worked on this was a company called Mr. X, which is also based in Canada. They do a lot of uh, major like pyrotechnic and... Uh, stunt effect work i feel like i've literally heard of this company when we lived there oh yeah they they, they're around they have a very big presence in ontario uh, and they work on a lot of movies so the biggest thing that they did which is very neat and i watched some footage of how they did this effect is at the very end of the movie uh the kind of big uh the, the big ending thing that happens when they escape the city is that Umbrella launches a nuclear bomb and destroys the whole city. Oh, which Nathan, you were going to mention earlier, they say it's a nuclear reactor meltdown. That's not how that happens. Yes, nuclear reactors do not explode when they melt down. They just release like horrifying amounts of radiation. Yes. So the fact that the entire city blew up and they blamed it on a nuclear reactor meltdown doesn't track in reality, but whatever. It's a movie. But also... Uh, if you said that in the reality they're in, you would sound like a jet fuel can't melt steel beams kind of guy. So, like, it works for them regardless. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the big money shot of the explosion is that the building, the, this central building that they've been the get, getting to to get to the helicopter, all of the windows explode out of it in this shockwave because the bomb explodes right above it. And they accomplished this with entirely physical effects. Oh, wow. What? By going to the middle of the California desert, building a 40-foot exact scale replica of the building, and placing glass panels lined with invisible explosives in every single pane of the front of this building on a timer so that everything would explode in a cascading line from the top corner of the towers down. This was such an elaborate and complicated effect that they had one chance to do it, or it would cost them tons of money and months of work to set it up again. So they had multiple high-speed cameras ready to capture it. And the thing about high-speed cameras is that when you're shooting film on high-speed cameras, they're very, very loud because they're running so fast. And because you're using film, you're using a lot of film because you have to capture more frames in a shorter period of time than if you were shooting at standard 24 frames per second. So it's very expensive. <laughs> When they were, uh, I watched footage of them doing this first attempt, which they succeeded at, uh, but they had a false start because they couldn't tell if all of the cameras were running because they were so loud that they couldn't tell like immediately that all of them had started up. Oh no. So oh, if wow. you, if you watch footage of this, there's a video uh, on YouTube of them doing this effect. You hear the cameras start up and they're like clicking very, very loudly. And then you just hear someone from off camera go, fuck and walk on frame <laughs> and like check the camera to make sure that it's running. And then everyone has to reset and they have to like start it over again. But it works, and it looks so cool. Oh, yeah, it yeah, looks really, it, really good. It looks really cool in the movie, and seeing it happen in real time is also very cool. Uh, they did something similar for the scene where Alice is running in, like, the circle in around the building uh, on the on the glass. The round building that I mentioned. Yes, same building. Uh, 
she gets shot at and she's running across the glass and the windows are blowing out. Uh, they did something similar with that. I don't know if this was actually Mila Jovovich doing the scene, but they did get her to do a lot of her own stunts because she was very in- intent on doing them herself. The only things she didn't do were the ones that were so dangerous the insurance literally wouldn't let her do it. <laughs> she does seem like the kind of actress who does want to get involved with her physical performances, which I always respect. You know, I don't think it's necessary, but you know, it's, it's, I respect people who are willing to do that. This isn't making me want to like throw away all of my life and go try to get a job in special effects any less, by the way, guys. Like, (laughs) there has always been a part of me that like grew up watching Mythbusters and behind the scenes featurettes and was like, I just want to make like tiny spaceships and blow things up for a living, please. Yeah. (laughs) But I live in Canada. (laughs) I'm not moving to your country. Your country is not oh, a place I want to live to, right now. <laughs> I suppose that means you have to go here. Yeah. No. Even California. Like, I, I'm okay with California overall, but I'm going to wait a few years. Maybe maybe later. Uh, there's some casting fun facts. Uh, did anybody else recognize the scientist at the end of the movie who brings Alice out of the tank? Vaguely. Vaguely. Yeah. I didn't know who it was. Okay. That actor is Ian Glenn who is famously played a character in Game of Thrones, but more relevant for our show, he played Manfred Powell in Laura Croft Tomb Raider. Oh my god, it's the bad oh. guy from Tomb Raider. That's cool. Yes. Yes, the one with the dumbest name. <laughs> this character is Dr. Isaac, the character that was named as a reference to Jason Isaac's brief cameo in the first movie that you can't tell is him because he's wearing a mask. <laughs> And he has better things to be doing. Another thing about Nemesis, the suit that they built was custom made for the actor who played him, which originally was going to be the same guy who played Matt in the first movie, Eric Mavius, but they decided to get somebody else who was just built bigger. The actor that they got to play Nemesis in the suit was an actor named Matthew Taylor, who is six foot seven and 320 pounds. Jeez. And the suit that he wore weighed 65 pounds just on its own. That's, uh... It's a good thing he was mostly filming on actual city streets because, like, studios, they would have had to, like, special build the floors for that kind of weight. Yeah, most of this movie was shot on location. They did almost nothing on sets. Uh, And I think it shows, like, there is a lot of physicality to the locations it doesn't have that kind of that uh constructed nature that a lot of let like less skilled studio setups have like alone in the dark it's just toronto <laughs> yeah lovely city yeah yeah what i gathered from reading about this movie is that a lot of the people involved in the effects work and the makeup and the pyrotechnics were deeply passionate and talented craftspeople that were very happy to work on a movie this big. And that's cool. And that shows. And it implies that the creative staff on like the top line people, the directors, the producers and stuff, treated them well and wanted them to do their best work. Because most people in the effects industry go in pretty like gung-ho about projects because like they love what they do. But a studio head or a director can really bum them out. And it seems like everybody was working together pretty well on this. 
which is nice. It's always nice to see people doing things that they like and coming out decent. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this movie is a masterpiece, but there is definite passion behind it that comes through in the final product. And that's worth something for sure. So, do we want to rate this mother? Yeah. Lexi, um, you said yes first. <laughs> oh, great. I should have said not it. <laughs> no. On a scale from zombie dog, no, on a scale from liquors to LJ, I give this movie a Dr. Ashford. That's fair analysis, Nathan. I give this movie Jill Valentine's terrible wig out of Nemesis. <laughs> it's not a great wig. It's not the worst wig I've seen in a movie, but that's because I've seen Fanforstick. <laughs> uh, I, out of the two Resident Evil movies, I give this movie the higher position. <laughs> and uh, that's all for us today at Video Game the Movie, the podcast. Happy Halloween, y'all. It's spookum season. Enjoy it while it lasts. Uh, you can find me at Twitter. At Twitter? On Twitter. At Kenzie Phoenix. You can find me on Twitter at Bert Nerd Tram. You can find me on Twitter at Conwell underscore Alex. Or on Facebook at Alex Conwell Creative. The video game, the movie, the podcast, Twitter at VGTM Podcast. We're also available uh, on Dice Weave, which is getting good, actually. In my opinion, go listen to us play Mass Effect RPGs and scream. <laughs> it's a Dice Weave on the podcasting apps, and Twitter is... At Dice Weave Pod. It is currently uh, not that active because no one follows it, but... Be there, be square. Know. We'll get there. Uh, our next episode is set to be on Doom, the Dwayne The Rock Johnson sci-fi horror action movie hang on there is a there is a dwayne the rock johnson doom movie hell yeah buddy you're in you... for a ride that one will be fun <laughs> thanks for listening <laughs> don't forget to save and we'll see you at the next checkpoint i'm gonna sing the doom song doom 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 <laughs> doom, doom. <laughs> bye